Welcome to La Ventanita, the Miami Herald Food Podcast. I'm the Miami Herald Food Editor, Carlos Frias, joined every week by my co-host, Amy Reyes. Hi! What's going on? Nothing much. How you doing, Carlos? Are you are you back in the 305 now? I am. I'm back in I, I'm back in my hood. I recognize from your from <laughs> your uh, your book tower there on the on the right there. Yeah, it's like a museum to books that I may or may not have read. You don't read any of those books. Those uh-huh. aren't even real books. They're just They're like not. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. They're not. They're You're a pretty like, good reader though. You're you read a lot. No, I don't read as much as I used to. Connie told, I tried to start reading a lot the the beginning of the year. Connie told me to start buying shorter books. So that way, like when I finish (laughs) them. That seems like such a like, I can't get through all these books. Buy shorter books. Buy shorter books. (laughs) Connie is full of really good advice when it comes to like trying to get me to be a better reader. And she was like, just buy shorter books. There's tons of good ones you can find. And then you feel super duper accomplished. So by like the end of March, I had read like, you know, like eight or nine books. And I was like, yeah, I'm on a, I'm on a roll. But then I just kind of like came to a screeching halt. Yeah. And so, yeah. And these books here. She's are very just... practical about that. She's she's good. She's really good about uh, giving you uh, giving you tips to, to make you a better reader. She is. Connie's Connie's the jam. She's yeah, full she of really them. Is. So um, what do we have going on uh, this week? We got all we got all kinds of stuff. I think the biggest thing we had uh, this week was uh, Chef Adrian, right? Stepping Ooh, yes. away from a restaurant. Yes. That feels like a Miami novela that has that, yet that to be explored. That feels like there's some, hay algo escondido. Hay un gato encerrado. Un gato encerrado. That's what I was looking for, for sure. But explain explain the drama as we are allowed to to talk about it. I, I What I know is this. So Chef Adrian has a huge following, uh, especially in the western suburbs. Because in Kendall, I mean, she was really... I can think of one of the first restaurants to try to do something a little bit more elevated beyond mom and pop. Uh, that wasn't a chain restaurant, and she just had tons of fans in this in this tiny little place that she had next to like a tire a tire shop uh, forever. And um, I, I don't know if it was windfall or what, but she had a chance to. Uh, she was asked to be the the chef at uh, Redfish Redfish Grill, uh, which had this beautiful property right on Matheson Hammocks uh, Park that got wrecked in uh, Hurricane in uh, Irma, Irma, I think. Yeah, twenty seventeen. And it was like all a big deal, that. And then a year later, she opened uh, Forte, which is like an, supposedly an Italian restaurant with her grandmother's uh, grandmother's recipes and such. And it it was like she was taking over the world. And now she announced that she's stepping away from those two places. And everybody's giving PR statements, if anything, about like, oh, this completes our thing. You know, our time, our time was uh, limited to begin with. But I remember saying that she had a nine-year lease on that place in uh, with an eleven-year option. Right. So like it was intended to be a long-term thing. So I don't and know. Also, maybe... like I wouldn't give my grandma's hundred and fifty-year-old recipes to a restaurant that I'm about to bounce from in two years either. Yeah. That seems kind of like that seems kind of like. Mm. Yeah, but you know what? I mean, like that's like the that's kind of the story of restaurants. Is right. Probably. Always, yeah. There's always like a little drama in there. It's 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 a personal drama. Uh, rent prices, rent increases, and uh, and uh, changes of staff. Like that's the that's the world of of that. So uh, so we'll see. I mean, I, I we'll see what those restaurants are like without her there. Um, I mean, Redfish is beautiful. Like it's, yeah, it's a gorgeous uh, like, place. It's just a great place. Like like to get a drink and sit there, and you're next to that atoll. That really that that little. Did you get a chance bond. to go to Forte yet? I'm not. No, no, no I haven't been to no. Forte either. But red yeah. redfish is beautiful. I mean, honestly, you could give me like a sandwich 
at Redfish and I'd be like, okay, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm here. I'm here enjoying this. Like, mayo sandwich, bologna and mayo sandwich. <laughs> you can give Red me Fish a bologna Girl. sandwich. <laughs> ah, the bologna is, uh, is delicious. Huh? C'est bon. Ah, c'est bon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, Carlos, um, I really, really need to make fun of you though. Why? Please. Why? <laughs> Why you gotta be so dumb? <laughs> so for those of you who don't follow Carlos on the gram, he tried to be funny, and he posted this little meme trying to make fun that of That was him. funny. That was funny. <laughs> Not tried to be. That was funny. Here, put his little meme up so we can all make fun of Carlos. Michelin guide is just fancy Yelp. Changed my mind. The guy with it's, the coffee cup, right? Yes, that okay, guy. Okay, for those of you who are listening to this, to the, <laughs> to the podcast, for those of you who can see Carlos's goofy meme, it's right there. All right, so Carlos posted this because Carlos is a hater. That That's all is I got not say. true. That is not true. I like, I like, I just thought that was funny. Like, I just thought, you know. Well, I have to say my, my only, my only real, um, well, I have two, two perspectives on your crack at humor. The first one is, I think that that's not true because Yelp is basically like, it's like the, the neighbor, it's like the town square. Where yeah, everybody not, can go. They're not the same thing. That's why it's funny. Oh, well, yeah. That's why it's funny. You laughed. Stop Stop hating me. Yeah, I laughed. I laughed. But, like, because the thing the is, is, is that, it, yeah, Michelin is more like the consumer reports of restaurants. You know what I'm saying? It's that, like, is a, that is a great way to put it. The it's the consumer reports, reports because the they, they send people with a certain criteria to go. Right. You know? Right. Yelp is usually people who are like, the waitresses were mean to me, so I hate the place. You know, so like they, they don't necessarily have, they're not looking for the same stuff. If they have the same bad experience, obviously, like you just don't make it. But I just like, man, if somebody came to Carlos and was like, your James Beard Award is like being the top Yelper in Miami. <laughs> Yelp elite. <laughs> if you're like the star, the best Yelper in Miami. I was like, yeah, dude, that's pretty much that's pretty much what you're trying to say. Like your fancy pants awards don't mean anything, Miami. It's I, honestly, it's just like all of it. Like I saw a great one where it's the guy and the girl that are walking together and the guy's turning around and looking at the other girl. Right. And the other yeah. girl, like he's walking with the James Beard and he's looking at he's looking at the Michelin. At the Michelin, is, yeah. The I was, and I laughed like because that's funny. <laughs> like I was like, that's hilarious. Well, that's because it's true. But, like I'm, I think most people are more like, oh, Michelin. And then people are like James Beard. Like that's a that's a really specific honor. Who's that and, guy? Yeah, who's that guy like? <laughs> but it's like I think you just have to take the piss out of things, you know? Like, yeah, no, I agree. There's I agree. like you can't say that something that something like an award is sacred. You know what I mean? An right. Emmy, well, an Oscar, a James Beard, a Michelin, anything. You can't say it's sacred. It's but it's you always. It's always nice to get look a little pat, little pat on the yeah, back. Yeah, like Michael Schwartz said, I want to win. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I want to win. I want to win. Yeah, there you go. But There's you know, the meme right there. <laughs> the Michelin Awards has made me decide that I want to be a much fancier diner. Like, I oh do want to be fancier because, you know, there's a lot of ways for you to spend a lot of money in restaurants in Miami. Like, it's very easy to spend a lot of money in, in, in a restaurant in Miami. Oh, yeah. And like the Michelin Guide, at least it's like, well, if you're going to spend a lot of money, the people that we... You know, the people that we trust have decided that your money's probably going to be pretty well spent here. So as a result, Connie invited me to go to a fancy Michelin restaurant for a rosé event. And I have to say, I was unprepared for the fact that this was a cocktail party. Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm 
dude. Oh, no. So I go to the, it was at Le Jardinier. Okay. And it, it was a very, that place is very beautiful. I've never eaten there like a, like a full meal. I went there hungry for a cocktail party. Everybody was skinny and beautiful and nobody was eating. And I was literally like, like, <laughs> like, like guzzling, guzzling uh, rosé. Yes, eating, I was drinking. And, I was drinking crackers. the rosé. And then I was like, oh, no, my my alcohol to food ratio is like really off balance. So I was like tackling the waiters and I was like, bring me food. <laughs> <laughs> I need more food. Feed me. It sounds like what you're saying is that you, uh, from three days ago, you're still hungover. I think yeah, that's what you're I saying. I still have a headache. It's yeah. it's it's a bad thing. It's a bad rosé headache. Uh, I'm yeah. just a, I'm a lightweight, and if you don't feed me enough food, I will suffer. Yeah. Well, that said, I the appetizers mean, were good. All of the ones that I ate, and I ate, I just was just like like Garfield, like. But you were like, can I order some food? And they said, no. Nah, yes. They were like, no, this is the, the like, only thing that's happening here. I've had so much rosé. Can I please feed order me real some food? They're like, no, we can't feed Give you. Give me a bread basket, something. They're, call an Uber and get out of here. You go get, go get, go from there to, to what is it? Uh, uh, God, what's the place on the beach? The Willie's. Um, Oh, Wet Willies? Wet Willies from there oh, to Wet Willies. You, you would never see me again. I would be face down in a gutter somewhere. Dude, I can't. I can't even. Uh, hey, so sh- have we uh, Have we held our guests waiting long enough? Uh, yeah, I think we have. We foolish- I think we should just invite her into our foolishness, which was great. <laughs> so our guest today is Luciana Giangrandi. Uh, Luci, that's what her friends call her. So that's what we're going to call her. Uh, Luci Giangrandi is a Miami-raised kid whose star has written, specifically a Michelin star. Uh, she co-owns Boya Day. It's a restaurant she opened with her co-chef and partner, Alex Meyer, in a strip mall in Little Haiti three years ago. They were named co-nominees for the James Beard Award for Best Chef in the South. And now their little spot has a star from the tire man. Uh, but she actually started out as an aspiring food writer. Um, I guess that was before she worked in the Scarpetta kitchen of a uh, chop judge, Scott Conant. Uh, that will scare anybody off uh, or, or make you want to be a chef um, or both. Uh, or maybe it was when she was studying Italian cooking in Tuscany while she was working for <gasps> Carbone, the one in New York City that has the Michelin star. Yeah, that one. Uh, Miami first found out about them uh, when they moved to Miami together and they opened this tiny taco trailer in the design district called La Pollita. Uh, where they made a killer chicken sandwich. Uh, trust me, it all made sense at the time. Uh, so let's get into it with her. Welcome, Luchi. <laughs> Hi, How everyone. How are you? Great. How are you? We're just going to comment again on what a perfect room raider. Ten out yeah. of ten. You have <laughs> ten out of ten, man. Like, and you know she reads line. those books, Carlos. <laughs> she does read those books. I, I was an English major, so I've read a lot of them. Yeah. There you go. Where did you? Where were you an English major at? I started university at the American University of Rome, and then after a year and a half, I transferred to the new school in New York City. Ah, the new school. That's where the Parsons School of Design with Tim yeah, Gunn yeah. is. Make it work, <laughs> Lucci. Make it work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh very cool. So, so what's your um, what's your Miami? What are your Miami credentials? Talk to us a little bit about like you're 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 from here, born and raised here. I'm born and raised here. I'm first generation Miami Cuban mom, Chilean dad. Um, I lived in Chile when I was younger, but I 
spent most of my growing up time here in Miami. I grew up in Miami Lakes. So back when there was still like police on horse and like a lot of cow pastures and all of that. Uh, And then later I I lived in North Miami. So when I think of Miami Lakes, I always think of that meme where it's it's the it's the Winnie the Pooh next to Hialeah. And then it's Winnie the Pooh in a tux and it's Miami Lakes. (laughs) (laughs) I still remember when we became officially a city because if not, the postal code before used to say Hialeah before. And then it became um, Miami Lake. They were like, something. no, we don't want that. They're like, we need, we, need to, we need to put a bridge between us and these Hialeah folks. We're going to make all of our streets go in a circle so nobody can get at, in nobody or out. Nobody can get in or out. Oh, so that's cool. So so did you go to high school around there or did you go to, down here? I actually – I went to high school in Coconut Grove. I went to Carrollton. Oh, okay. So all right. did that all-girl oh, yeah, education thing. Yeah, my well, my girls do that also. So they're, I mean, not at Carrollton, but they're at Lord or have been at Lord's. So, yeah. so they're, uh, they're, they're into that too. There's something different about that, right? Uh, being around like the whole, like not worrying about putting on makeup necessarily to go to school. And uh, it, honestly, it prepared me for a kitchen, I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. the same. You wear a uniform. You don't have to get nice to go to work. And that's it. You just focus on the job at hand. Oh, that's pretty cool. And uh, so so tell us a little bit about like I was just reading a little bit about um, your your background and how you got into cooking in general. So you you originally had ideas about being a food writer like I did. I had been interning. I interned at Eater when it was just the office in New York City. Um, and it was oh, Amanda Clute who now runs the whole thing and just interns. <laughs> oh, wow. So I was interning there and I was interning at a, a magazine and then I was doing some restaurant work at some point, like in the evenings. And my dad just said, why don't you take some cooking classes? You want to write about food? Maybe this will help you kind of, he probably regrets that very much now. (laughs) (laughs) But he's like, I'll help you learn to write about it because you'll understand the process better. And I always like to cook anyway. So I did a short program in New York, like six months, and you had to do an internship to finish. I ended up interning at Scarpetta. Firstly, no one would write me back. I tried to get an internship, meaning working for free, and no one would even give me the time of day. So I was like, okay, I'm going to have to go in person and like speak to the chef and see what I can do. So I went to one kitchen. The chef was in Italy out of town. And then the second place I went was Scarpetta, which was walking distance from where I lived at the time. (laughs) So um, I spoke with them. Was that the one here in Miami or New York? No, in New York. It was in the meatpacking district at the time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you just walked uh, in and you're like, I will work for you for free. I'll work for free. You know, what's funny is that um, I worked with a lot of Latin people and I speak Spanish. So the chef was like, honestly, yeah, you're going to work for free and you speak Spanish. Great. Come <laughs> on in. That, that, that was my in to the kitchen was my Cut those my potatoes. Spanish. Your Spanish skills. Yep. Yeah. You know, uh, the Spanish, the Spanish skills come in handy, man. Especially in, well, especially if you're in Miami, certainly. But, yeah. but in the kitchen world where so much of the staff, right, in all over the country is... Is it like Latin that all over the country or is it is it mainly is it mainly like just the big cities? I mean, I've only lived in big cities, so I can't I, I can only speak for that. But in my experience, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's that's one of the things that Bourdain uh, used to say is about but not just the kitchen being kind of this neutralizer, but is also this kind of uh, this place where immigrants come to get their get a foot in the door, you know, you learn English, you're elite, you're maybe you're illegal, maybe your status is in flux, you know, but you're kind of getting, but you're kind of getting your start. And it's like a, it's, it's a, it's really a great place to, to, to learn about America and like what makes, what makes the gears tick, right? 
I mean, there's a there's a young guy I worked with in that kitchen. And at this point, I think it was like 13, 14 years ago. Um, and it's funny, he was very young. He'd just gone over from Mexico and he was starting to take English classes and learn all of that. And fast forward now, he learned to cook pasta, amazing, all of that. He's working for one of my best friends who has a restaurant in New York and he's their pasta cook there. And like, oh, runs, wow. yeah, oh, wow. that part of the kitchen. So, you know, you never know. Yeah, no, that's it's an amazing. It can be a, a great start. So, what, what's your background? You were saying that your your folks are Cuban, but you, there's some Italian uh, attached somewhere along the way. Yeah, so my mom was Cuban. Um, my grandma came over from Cuba in the '60s, and you know that whole Miami story that we all yeah. know so well. Yeah. And then my dad's from Chile, but both of his parents Italian. Oh wow! So. Yeah. And, and then my dad worked in Italy a lot growing up. So I would go with my sisters and we would spend summers there um, often. So I've been traveling back and forth from Italy since I was a kid. Oh, wow. What, what kind of work was your dad doing at the time that, that took him overseas? He, I mean, he always traveled a lot for work, but he had a factory in Livorno, which is where Boya Day name comes from, because I've oh, been right. going there since I was like seven or eight years old. <laughs> so it, it is like a, I'm not from there, but it is a personal place to be. I have a lot of memories, so. And so what kind of a situation would you say boy a day? Like, what's the use so of that word? One that of term? my like best friends that comes from Livorno, when I we were trying to think of a name for the restaurant, and that was one of the ideas I had. I was like, what do you think of this? How would you explain it? He's like, you know, it's kind of like if your buddy tells you they're going to go pick you up and you to give you a ride or whatever, and they show up and you're expecting they're going to be in their normal car and they show up and they're in like a Ferrari. You would be like, boya de que máquina. Like, holy shit, almost. Right. <laughs> nice. like, like, what a car. It's right, supposed right. to be like a very good surprise that you would, you know, kind of thing. Could it, be, could it be the Italian, like, could one of the uses be like the Italian version of Dale? I mean, I guess so. I, I never thought of it that way. I always, print, like, Translate it to people at the restaurant politely and just say, oh, my. <laughs> oh, my. But I like dale the dale. Mean... I like the dale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems like a really fancy way to say dale. Like, and it's dale. Not fancy. Honestly, it's a very uh, kind of kind of like not street. polite term. Yeah, it's a street <laughs> term. <laughs> yeah. Very colloquial. Like, I like that yes. both those words have can you uh, have an exclamation point at the end, as does your restaurant. <laughs> I love that your restaurant, you find it, and it doesn't say boyade up front. It's just a bright pink exclamation point. Uh, Honestly, when we were getting the sign made, um, Beth Rhodes, who's an artist and she works with us, but she also does all of our design and she's a beautiful painter. Uh, she designed that exclamation point and we went to get the sign made and the guy goes, you're not going to write the name. He goes, who do you think you are? McDonald's? No one's going to know. <laughs> and then a bunch of months later, I guess when we had become a bit more successful, he sent me an email and he was like, hey, congratulations. I see it worked out. Uh -huh, <laughs> you uh -huh. are officially yeah. McDonald's. But he, he thought we were crazy. He's like, they're not golden arches. I don't get it. <laughs> Who's going to know? No one's going to know as the, meme, as the meme goes. I was like, the right people will know. <laughs> the right people will know. That's yeah, true. It's, sure. it's not as low key as Zitsum. Isn't that the place that has like no sign at all? Yeah. Um, I when I was trying to go there, I honestly we drove around the block so many times trying to figure it out, which I guess is people how people feel when they come to Boya. But I was like, where is it? Yeah, we I ended up we made it. The, we made it. I, I ended up parking the street behind and came through the other building, and I was like, Google says it's right here. Where is it? <laughs> where is it? <laughs> that was yeah. the thing. It's Google says it's here. Right. Yeah. But once you find it, <coughs> just like you guys, once once you find it, yeah, it's great. Tell me. So 
back up a little bit. So you get into, you go in with this idea of uh, kind of writing, for, you know, maybe, maybe writing, maybe an English major. An English major kind of seems like, this is was, the thing I'm good at. Where am I going to apply this? Major. Right. So right. I was studying Same. more with a, a focus, they call it, uh, Eugene Lang, but a focus in nonfiction writing. So I did have more of like the journalism, creative nonfiction class background, more so than like storytelling. Right. In the, yeah. Although right. once I wrote a story about my family and someone was like, this reads like fiction. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> I was like, Whoop. this is real. This is a Latin family. Wait, oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. They make movies about this. Yeah. What What? What was it about your family that seemed fictional in that story? Oh, no, I don't know if I want to get into that yet. It's only 11 a.m. Yeah, I know. We'll start drinking. So let's get let's get to work on it. No, no, no but drinking. I mean, with the, no with the writing thing, I mean, I did the internship. I started out that way and they ended up hiring me. Honestly, I graduated in 08 and it was a really rough time in the economy, obviously. Oh, and yeah. a lot of like creative jobs like writing or journalism were suffering. Um, and I was, you know, working as a hostess. I was interning. I was doing the whole thing to pay my rent. And I ended up applying for grad school while I was doing my internship. And I got into grad school, but I also got promoted at the restaurant at the same time and had to kind of make a decision. Like, am I going to move forward in this career, which I actually was really enjoying and learning so much? Or am I going back to what I've been studying and I thought I was going to be working towards and like going to go to grad school? And I honestly got a little nervous that what if I went to grad school, I was going to do food studies. And I finished and I was kind of in the same place I was at then when I had finished college of not being able to get a job or not being able to pay my bills, um, maybe more in debt, all of that kind of scenario. And I ended up deciding to stay in the restaurant. And that's, that's, I honestly very, think, sorry. No, no, no. I was going to say that that's very similar to the uh, Harry Coleman and his wife at Harry's, uh, in Harry's. They really? also graduated. They were both journalists. They graduated in 2008, I want to say, at the bottom of the economy. And we're like, yeah. what are we doing? It's like his dad owned a bakery. So they just started working at the bakery. And Honestly, there's a lot of English majors in restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> That's not you. that weird. <laughs> there's a lot of us. <laughs> that is funny. So tell, uh, so, us about, so tell us about working at, um, at Carbone. So I, it's funny because I did back-to-back openings. I did the Nomad opening in 2012 in New York. And then I went with one of the sous chefs that I had met there and was part of the opening team at Carbone in 2013. Um, And I stayed there for a year. And then I had some things I needed to take a little personal time for um, and ended up going to Italy after I handled those things um, to work at the same restaurant that Mario Carbone had worked at in Tuscany. I went oh, with wow. one of my best like work friends that we had worked together for a really long time. And he had been with me at Carbone as well. And we both got to go over um, and work at that place. So oh, that's cool. amazing. So it wasn't yeah, through Carbone, but it was uh, kind of in that period afterwards, after you had been with those guys. Yeah. I mean, he got me the he got me. The he got you in there. I got yeah. You. Did he think so that, he that, that place in New York was going to become such a thing? Carbone, New York? Mm-hmm. It's funny because it was pretty cool to be part of that team because I think that was like the last moment before they really exploded. And now they're corporate, you know, they have a ton of places everywhere. Uh, it's still a lot of people I worked with then that like then still work for them now, which is really amazing to see where all these people have gone and like gotten to. Um, but I mean, they work their asses off. I would be in the kitchen at 7 a.m. to do the prep to open and Mario and Rich would be there right next to me, like cutting shallots and doing everything that needed to be done. So I think for me, it was a really cool experience to be part of that team at that time. 
Um, I think they had a lot of ambition. I don't know where they thought they would, you know, where they wanted to get. I never would have spoken with them about that kind of thing, but um, they definitely worked really hard to get there. So, so you can get a table. I'm not surprised. You want. I'm not. No, surprised. So you can get a table whenever you want. In South why, Beach. Why would she want to go to that to an inferior Italian restaurant when she has an Italian? No, because she's restaurant. got her people there. She those are her peeps. <laughs> they, I actually went recently. To, yeah, they are my homies. But um, I mm. Italian food is one of the things I eat the least when I go out. I like to go out and eat sushi because that's the kind of food that I don't make and I absolutely love and appreciate. So for me, it's really a pleasure to go and like eat this food that's really not up my alley. And I also, in a funny way, think there's so many similarities between Japanese food and Italian food. Um, like what? And just like, just in the sense that in Italy, it's very simple food, but people spend a lot of time honing a craft and studying one thing and getting really good at that. And there's really like this tradition of passing that along. And I think in American culture, we hop around a lot and you see a lot of this in like young cooks as well, where they want to study, you know, I'm going to work in this kitchen for a little bit and then this kitchen for a little bit. And they're all different kinds of food. And they kind of like pick up a little bit of a lot, but not a lot about a little. Mm. And to really master something, you have to spend time on it. You know, I've been cooking mostly Italian food for over a decade. And like, I've been going to Italy for years and years and I still go to new areas and like learn new things and read new recipes or have, you know, one of my other cooks, one of from Italy, they'll tell me, oh, in my town, we do this kind of sauce and I've never heard of it, you know? So I think in that sense, in Japan, people really master something. To be a sushi chef, you spend two years learning rice. So, <laughs> you know, it's like when you work in an Italian restaurant, you're probably going to spend a lot of time before anyone ever lets you make any pasta. Right. No, yeah, so, before they let you touch the important stuff. Yeah, just just that kind of respect for learning and studying something in a lot of detail. Right. I think it's very similar. When, when you go to eat sushi down here, what are some of your favorite spots that you like to go Oh, my to gosh. Oh, you're going to get me in trouble. No, 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 no. It can <laughs> no, be low-key. No. I don't care if it's sushi maki. You know what I mean? Like, you're not yeah. going to get anybody in trouble. I'm just curious. Like, uh, like, who do you, uh, okay. like, who do you really enjoy when you just – when you want to – So I do don't go for that much low-key sushi mm-hmm. because usually I go for some sort of omakase. But right. I have, like, five spots I visit all the time. Um, I mean – Sushi Yasu or Yasu Tanaka in MIA Market. He used mm-hmm. to be the corporate sushi chef for Azabu, and he has a stall there, which is absolutely incredible. And the quality of fish that you get and everything else just is amazing. And the fact that it's in a food hall like is quite surprising. But I love to go there. Um, Mr. Omakase. Um, right. Downtown, I didn't, right? I've gotten to go once, but I really enjoyed my time. Same with Yurikawa. I got to go one time, but I loved it. And I've gotten to experience the den at Azabu like three different times, like three different chefs. And every experience was a little bit different, but really amazing. So actually, yeah, those are all spots that. So you, you save up and splurge for those. Yeah, like, you, really, honestly, really yeah, nice I owe Alex, you save up and go I, hard. It's usually a birthday meal because we don't have that much free time. So we don't usually buy presents or things like that for birthdays. So it's always like Alex does my taxes, too. And I always I'm like, OK, I'll pay you with an omakase dinner. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That fair. You mentioned Alex. So you guys have been like always mentioned like, you know, Alex and Lucci, Lucci and Alex, uh, since you've been in Miami, like uh, like in the cooking. Since Miami. Yeah, since Miami. Um, What has that been like for you? Because really, it's the only time where you can look around and it's the very obvious like like co-chef scenario that we've seen down here, you know. Oh, I mean, um, I think Aquino and Jamila from Rosie's is the other one. 
That's or, but he's but know. she's not a but she's not a cook though. She's not a chef. Do you well now she's not, but she actually they not. met at the CIA, so she used right. to be a chef. Right, right. Um, she liked the hospitality side more than Yeah, I, the, <laughs> those folks are great. Are you friendly with them? Do you know like are, you know? Oh yeah. They, um, they get it. We started to get to know each other and we did a collab Easter brunch this year together, so that was really fun. Oh, that um, sounded like fun. Honestly, it was great. <laughs> we got to eat the food, so I was really excited. Because <laughs> they usually operate on weekends when we're really busy. So, like, I haven't gotten to go there as much as I would like to. So that was a nice opportunity to eat a lot of the stuff and hang out. But so what So what has that been like for you guys, you know, to, 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 build, uh, to build something together in that way? I, it's It's been a challenge. I'm not going to lie. Mm-hmm. I think... You know, we met in 2012 in the Nomad Kitchen because we were both part of the opening team there. Um, And, you know, we always we cooked together then. Then I left to go to Carbone. And honestly, we always had very independent careers in the sense of working in different places and doing our own thing. Um, And then we had by the time we got to Miami, we knew it was to open our own business. We came here with that mindset. I'm from here and like I knew if I wanted to open a business, I wanted to be kind of close by to family or some of my family's in South America, being able to go back and forth. And we started with a taco truck. I think the first two weeks were some of the, <laughs> the hardest times in our relationship ever. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. New <laughs> it, business. It's a challenge. You know, it was, it was a tiny space. We opened the weekend of Basil. So it was very intense. It was just me and him and the food truck the entire time. So it was, it was serious, but we had um, run a kitchen together in L.A. for a little bit. So we had had an opportunity then to test test the waters. And I'm not saying there weren't a lot of conversations in the walk-in, but we kind of found our footing. <laughs> <laughs> what, was and, the, what, was the, what was the tension about mainly? What, were you guys, what would you guys fight about the most in those beginning days? I think we have different strengths. And sometimes until you figure out what each other's strengths are and where you can each focus, you're both trying to kind of partake or participate in all of it, especially since we're both savory cooks from the kitchen, you know, it's not one is front of house or one does pastry. It's like we both have opinions about the menu and how it should be executed. Um, but I think we eventually kind of found our stride of what we like to focus on, um, what dishes one of us will do or how we collaborate and also how we communicate. And I think the main thing is after a while, we start to realize all of these arguments are really like silly, you know, like if I didn't like the size of your onion, Julianne, is it really a big deal? Am I going to throw away a relationship <laughs> because of that? You know, so I think once you get used to it and you're just like, OK, this just isn't a big deal. I always tell my cooks in the kitchen, it's not personal. Like anything you hear, let it, you know, hear it, fix it, and let it go. Like no one's telling you this stuff because it's a personal thing. And the more you like take it personally, the worse it is. It's harder saying that when it's your relationship and you go home to that person and like all of the rest. But I think once you get to that level, which we're definitely at now, it's just like, okay, whatever. Like next. Also, now that we have enough employees, we try to work separate shifts. (laughs) So what what have you learned about like, like what's your lane and what's his lane? What like what are what are some things where you're just like, okay, he's just going to do that. And I'm not going to I'm not going to step on him. And he's like, I'll leave her alone when when it comes to this stuff. Certain things like I'll do more of like the hiring and scheduling and I guess firing and Alex does more of the nice. accounting and fixing. We call him Chef MacGyver because he's very handy and if anything <laughs> breaks, everyone goes to get him because he'll know how to rig it up or do something to make it work. Um, in terms of the food, I don't think 
we always kind of say, okay, whoever has a stronger opinion about it, like we'll go with that because I don't think it happens that often that he'll say, no, we should do this. Or I'll say, I disagree strongly. If any of us, if one of us feels strongly, we'll just, okay, let's do it that way. Um, I don't know. You just kind of learn to learn to let a lot of things go <laughs> because it's which not is that the one, Which is the one who looks at the Yelp reviews the most? I don't think either of us look at Yelp reviews. I get Google review alerts, but I don't get Yelp alerts. Once in a blue moon, I think I've looked at them. We've been open about three years this week. I think I've looked at them like six times. It, so it, I don't know. It's, it's better funny, not to, we don't respond to any of them. So I don't, I, I try yes. not to even read them. <laughs> they're, they're actually very funny. Uh, one of our, one of our guests was like, you guys should do uh, chefs read mean, mean Yelp reviews, yeah. you know, like, like, uh, and I was like, that is hilarious because they are I mean, so I had, ridiculous. We had a pretty, a pretty funny review recently. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's funny, but it was, we all, we all talked about it at work, but it was someone that wrote, you know, the food was excellent. I feared for my life, my the entire meal. What? <laughs> like, like what was the life threatening issue going? You, what was you, the issue? You know, I guess, I guess, I don't know. I guess some people, you know, are uncomfortable coming coming to our our shopping center. Yeah, but you know what? That's but a I was very like, wow. That's what I, I was like. How many stars is that? Yeah. <laughs> But you know what? Let's let's talk about that because that's very that's a very Miami thing. Like I grew up, I grew up down here. While I grew up in South Broward, my folks had a little jewelry store in Carroll City, and um, and it was always uh, like there was that you know Miami is a very segregated, self segregated yeah. town, or, or not even self segregated. You know, it goes back to redlining, and people would tell you growing up, no, ese barrio de los negros, you know, that's a that's a black neighborhood. You don't go there, and that's a bad neighborhood. And you grow up like I'm going to say me, I'm going to speak in I terms, right? I grew up with like, oh, there's neighborhoods that are bad. And it's like, meanwhile, I'm going to school in Carroll City, you know? And then like, it's this it's this thing that they tell you that, you know, and it's really, it comes back to having kind of like a, like a really a racist view of, of different parts of people in different parts of town. And I feel like the area that you guys are in is like the black little Havana. Like it's like the Haitian little Havana. Like it's, you just drive and you're like, this is like this is exactly Little Havana, you know, because you guys I mean, are there's right so the much there's so much community. And if you just yeah. like look at it, it's like, wow, people actually speak to one another and say hello and hang out with their friends here. And like mm -hmm. it's it's just a little exactly. That's a great way to think about it. Little Havana. Yeah. Um, how did so, how did the, the community feel about you guys when you guys came? Were they like, what are you guys doing? Like because it's like a, <laughs> it's like a fancy pants restaurant popping up in this little strip mall and and. How did the community react when you guys showed up? I mean, I think it's been fine and welcoming overall, honestly. Um, we only operate at night, so we're not like we're closed most of the day when the shopping plaza is really busy. And then we're open in the evening um, when there's not that many people besides like the supermarket and the laundromat going. Mm. But I mean, people have been really cool. We have people that have come over and eaten from the supermarket. You know, we use the laundromat there all the time. So I think we've gotten to know all the shop owners really well. Everyone that's there has been there for a while. And like, I think they see we own and operate our business. We're there almost every single day. Um, and I think they respect that and we all have a nice relationship honestly uh yeah i, I love our little plaza <laughs> yeah and, and it's funny because you guys like right around the corner from you is like Shebe bay which is like one of the most you know 
one of the best known, you know, Haitian restaurants that's been there forever. Call it, call it like the Haitian Versailles. It's been there. It's been there forever, you know? And, um, but it's interesting to see, to see even that, like, even when like Little Havana was changing, you know, you get like, uh, we got a, they got a craft beer place, you got ball and chain, yeah. you know, it becomes more touristy. It, the neighborhood, there is a little bit of a push and pull, like, which way is this neighborhood going to go? Is this gentrifying, you know, which is, I'm sure, a term that you guys have heard already because you, you open a, you know, a nice restaurant in a neighborhood that that has been mom and pop restaurants. You know, even well, I mean, we, pr- we got ourselves priced out. We used to live in the neighborhood. And then oh, really? <laughs> during, yeah. During pandemic, our landlord mm-hmm. raised our rent so much we had to move. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Oh, wow. That's unfunny. Did you move to Kendall? I was like, I was like you, you know, move? we run a restaurant, right? <laughs> Please don't do this. Oh my God. Where'd you guys end up moving to? Um, We live now in in North Miami, like close to Biscayne Park area. But I used to be like a four minute drive from the restaurant. So it was really convenient for me. That is crazy that the, that the rents have gone up. I mean, well, that's, that's the story of Miami right now is rents going up everywhere. Uh, Tell me about how that, how your restaurant has found, like it's really caught people's attention kind of in waves. Right. Like locals, like like you said, I think at some point you said it's like a four minute drive from the design district. So you start getting people flowing that way. You have local people. People start finding out, you know, um, you know, you start getting on the national map. What has that been? What has that whole thing been like for you guys? It was strange because we opened in the summer um, where we did think we would have a little bit of fanfare. But by that, I mean you know, just a lot of the people that were regulars at the taco truck. And that is a really, you know, Little Haiti's a neighborhood. There's a lot of people that live around there. Uh, There's a lot of Miami people that wanted somewhere to go eat that had free parking because of the design district. (laughs) You drive and drive and you can't park anywhere or you spend however much doing it. So everyone was so confused. They're like, why here? I'm like, honestly, somewhere with parking, (laughs) like it's, it's convenient. It's easy to get to. It's off of main street. Um, but we opened in that summer and we thought we had a decent amount of people coming in. But it's funny because looking to where we are now, we're literally doing double the amount of covers that we used to. But at the time for us and like the amount of employees we had, it was a lot. But locally, we started to get a lot of attention. Um, people were really into it. We had a lot of regulars starting to come in and a lot of like wine people. We had a great opening psalm and GM, Bianca, who now has her own place, Paradise Books and Bread. Um, oh, yeah. But she would they bring all love. different. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love, love them. Um, but yeah, she was bringing in all kinds of um, winemakers for wine dinners. And I think it was at the time where there started to be like some natural wine attention in Miami. And there just started to be a lot of local support for the restaurant. And it was really exciting. And do then, you remember like who your first customers were? Like, do you remember seating I, the. <laughs> I, I was in the back cooking pasta, so I don't. <laughs> there was a large part of the first few months where I honestly was not in the dining room much at all. I was just on the line, and Alex would do the expo and be in the front more so. Um, but I do remember some of those early customers that have become regulars now. Because I'll tell you, we have two different customers, solo diners usually, that have come in now. One of them almost 150 times. Oh, my God. One of them, I think she's at like 110, something like that. And there's a lot of people that have become like that very personal for us. You know, like we know them really well. We met their families or, you know, their parents, however, see them with their accomplishments and where they've gotten. And like, it's funny to meet someone that just comes to your business and then get to know them so intimately from that. 
So I remember those really early customers 100%. Whether or not I remember exactly the first person that walked in the door is not so much, but the people that kept coming, yes, very much. And how much how much of that is is um, part of the joy of the restaurant? Like uh, the idea that you create this thing. We're not just cooking. I mean, you're not just, you know, turning out plates every day, but you're you're guy kind of becoming family to a lot of these people that that just come to see it. I mean, that's that's how I remember the restaurants that I grew up in as a kid. Is like those people were like, they, you know, why do we see these people so often? Because <laughs> they're almost like so. Family. When I would go visit Italy um, in Livorno, right outside, there's this restaurant called D'Antonio delle Quattro Strade, and it's right in like this intersecting street in the middle of like between Pisa and Livorno. But there's not much around there. It's just like farmland and whatever. And it's owned by this family. Um, the woman inherited it from her father and now runs it with her husband. And now her kids are actually running it. Really, they're there sometimes, but they're older. And that was like the first restaurant where I got to go in the kitchen. And that's where I had Papardele Ale Lepre for the first time, which is something we serve at our restaurant. And I always say it's going to stay on the menu forever because it's the most traditional dish on the menu from that area. Um, but I would see them all the time. You know, I remember Fiorella and Gianni and Luciano and like all of them. And I was like, wow, this is so wild. Anytime I show up here, this is where they are. And like, this is basically like their house, you know? And that was the same at the place I, I staged at or interned at in Tuscany as well, because it was run by a husband and wife. Um, unfortunately the chef, he passed away from COVID in 2020, oh but it was, his kids ran the front of house, him and his wife ran the kitchen. Um, you know, their nephew ran the, the wood burning oven and it was very much this family operation, even though it was a really high end, nice restaurant. And they were there all the time. Like this was their home. And as a young cook, I always wanted to like learn the next thing or move to the next station and kind of go to the next opening because it was very exciting and I would get bored easily. And I always wondered if I open my own business, am I going to get bored of the place and like wish I could leave it because then the creative part, you know, kind of stalls or whatever it is. That's what I used to think about it before having it. And now I, I feel very differently, you know, because we're there three years in there all the time still, but like, it's become different. Like the things that you start to focus on are different and you start to really enjoy that part of it as well, of getting to know the people that are coming in, of, you know, having these connections with different employees, even though they leave, but you get to see where they go and like building this place that people come back to, you know, because even after they go, we tend to have really good relationships with the people that walk through those doors. And it's nice to see them move on and grow and start their own businesses or do whatever they're doing. And it kind of feels nice to know that you were a part of their community and their growth. I think that's a, that's kind of a, 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 a sign that you're doing something right is when people that, that help make your place interesting, go off and do their own interesting thing. Like, like you said, like your sommelier who opened, uh, who opened parodies, uh, was it bread, bread and books? Books and bread. Books and yeah. bread. I always get those two backwards, if it's <laughs> but they just got named, uh, one of Esquire's best new bars. Uh, in I the country. Know. Yeah, which is amazing. Like, uh, and they, like, it's what Connie says. She's like, they don't serve, they don't serve mixed drinks and it's not a traditional bar, but it's like a great hangout space where you yeah. have some of the best wine, some of the, some of the great, you know, it's like one of the great wine lists, you know, uh, that you can have while perusing, you know, these, you know, kind of radical books and having fresh baked bread, you know, which is what a combination. It's amazing. And the food's honestly me- really good. Let me ask you, um, since you have a, like a, like a, since you were talking about the, the, the idea of, um, having your space be like a, a, a space for the community, 
I've always wondered, and I, I haven't asked any of the other restaurant owners this before, but have you ever had to kick somebody out? Has anybody ever like overstayed their welcome <laughs> in your restaurant? Like, what do you do in that situation? Personally, I have dropped the bill on one customer before they were finished with their meal myself. <laughs> I We have had to ask people to leave before as well. I think it's happened like three times maybe. Um, besides the one bill that I dropped, um, usually it's because people have consumed too much or have shown up already. Like we had to tell people we would not serve them more um, and you know, they reacted poorly or maybe, oh you know, said some words to some employees. Oh, they, so it hasn't happened often, like but it has happened. <laughs> so yeah. so you're talking about people who be, who've, who are, should not be served more alcohol is what you're talking about. <laughs> Overall. And then Overall. the one time I did it was just somebody that was very rude to one of our servers. And, That's rough. You know, That's we preferred rough. for them not to continue their meal. Yeah, there's a, there's a, oh my God, that, that's. That's one of the most terrifying things about dealing with the public in general is just this idea that people show up and they're like, well, I have money so I can, I, I can, can do tell whatever you, I want here. I can, I can here do as whatever as I, I want. want. Exactly. No, and not I just that. And yeah. I can treat you however I want. Like you, you're my servant for this next hour and a half, which is um, during, crazy. So during like end of Christmas, January, you know, when all the COVID wave was going around. We, we had that struggle just like most other restaurants. And I was sick at one point. And when I came back to work, my first day back, we had a very wealthy client that came in and, you know, there was a mistake with their reservation or whatever it was, but they were, you know, very upset about it and ended up, yeah, calling me and one of our, um, my hosts at the, that evening, both incompetent a-holes. Oh my God. So, you know, like... At, it's things where I was like, you know, <laughs> like you should, sorry, just have a, but like <laughs> you should just have like a stack of, of Snickers bar here. You're like, here, sir, you're not yourself when you're hangry. <laughs> I know you're a diva. Have this Snicker, have this Snickers bar and wait at the bar. You know, it and, just, uh, sometimes you do feel like, hey, we are human beings and, you know, we're all trying to do our best and maybe just try to be a little respectful. <laughs> like it's not yeah. it's it's just a restaurant. <laughs> Yeah, like we always exactly. tell sometimes in the kitchen you get really stressed and it can be a, a lot of anxiety and whatever. But at the end, it's just food. You know, we're not doing heart surgery here. Like it's it's important, but it also has to have perspective. I think and and, I, and this comes from a, a place of respect, you know, but but it's it's a it's a nicer version of what moms do every day. Like, you know, <laughs> like like we cook every day. And so it's like that. It's that idea, but I don't know, man. Nobody. I, well, maybe that's it. Maybe they feel so comfortable with you that they tell like, "Mom, I don't like what you cook today." <laughs> and they can be well, too one of one of my rude. best critics is my my niece. So <laughs> she's nine years old. <laughs> she's she come have, in before she, and told me if the pasta was salty. Does she have a Yelp so, Elite sticker? And not yet, but I'm scared for the day she does. <laughs> Well, uh, Lucha, you've been so great to hang out and talk with us for a while. Um, you know, we, we can't let you go without having you play our game. We, we got to play. What's kiss the Mary. game? Oh, I actually do. <laughs> oh, OK. Yeah, we got to do a kiss, Mary kill. We do a kiss, Mary kill with food. Let's do it. All right. All right. So the three most Miami foods. Right. So you have cafecito, croqueta and pastelito. So you got to kiss, what? Mary kill. Which kind of croqueta and what kind of pastelito? Well, let's see. Which kind of croqueta do you love the most? Jamon. 
Of course, that's the oh, only yeah. answer. That's the correct. I was about, <laughs> I was I was about to hit the. Don't tell me espinaca. The, yeah, if you tell me espinaca, that's some like that's some. But I, I don't stuff. even go for the pollo. I just want the jamón always. Who who makes one of your your like? Where do you like to get? Where did you grow up getting croquetas? What was like one of your favorite croqueta places? Or did it matter? So in Miami Lakes, there used to be Vicky's um, Bakery, like was smaller, but it was right around then. And then there was, I think. In like Palm Springs North, there was a bakery. I can't remember now, but we used to go to a lot that had some of the best ones. Oh. And then it was Casa Romeo for Cuban food. But then yes. later they got shut down and I heard it was like a, a front for a drug deal or something. I don't know. In Miami? In Miami? That's so unbelievable. Gucci, what do you so mean? It was one of my favorite Cuban restaurants. So I was That's so a good obsessed. front. If they were making good food, good for them. That's so funny. Um, they they my favorite Pembroke Pines has a place called the Romeos. I wonder if it's the same people. Whatever. Ooh, I'm going to try it now. It Maybe they moved on. And, and they're pretty good. It's Cuban food. And it's like, <laughs> See? it's very, it's very solid Cuban food. I've ordered it like at my brother's house for, uh, for like, no, like Noche Buena when we didn't want to make el lechón asado entero. We're just like, let's well, just get the lechón Maybe they money Romeos. for those good ingredients. That's what it is. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. So what you Well then, saying? okay. But then the, but then the Huh? Yeah, so croqueta de jamón, we got it. So pastelito, okay. what, what were your, what's your, what's your pastelito preference? Well, no, I don't want to tell you my preference. Tell me which one I have to. <laughs> no, no, I just want to know which is your preference. Like, uh, is it de guayaba? I don't know. You're a savory person, so I'm thinking that you might be a meat pastelito person. I don't know. Am I right or am I oh, wrong? Oh, we're going there. Mm-hmm. No, I was gonna say I think I do like them, but I would either go guayaba y queso or just a queso. I don't ever have a just guava. A uh, just guava. See, I like yeah. the guava. Or the queso. I don't. I don't love the. You don't like the. I don't. I don't know. I. I usually like savory and sweet, but that one. That one doesn't do it for me. I. I, I don't. I don't go for that one. But uh, okay. All right. So you're. So well, I'm just gonna hit you with the cheese then. So we're just gonna say a pastelito de queso, which. Okay. Uh, uh, where was I recently? Uh, oh, it was in Tampa. They don't even call them pastelito de queso. They put them in a different category all the all together. They call, what do they, them call ques- it? they just call them quesitos. They put them in a. And I'm <laughs> like, I'm like, that's clearly a pastelito de queso. What's it shaped like? Is it shaped like a regular pastelito? It looks like the same kind of long tubular cheese one, but they just call it a quesito. And this is at La Segunda, which is the which is the the Cuban the main Cuban bakery over there that makes you know the uh, Cuban bread the most traditional way. And then uh, you know in Café Cubano, you know with the plenty of sugar. Uh, where, For where, sharing with your all right, so I, so I have to kiss, marry, and what? And kill. kill. You got to you got to kill one of them. One of them, you you can never see him again. I can never see it again. Ever again. I think I'm going to have to kill the pastelito, mostly because I am a savory person and, and I can't live without coffee. So, yeah. So which which one of to... those which one of those gets the ring? Which one, uh, the, the croqueta or the cafecito? I'll go for cafecito all day long. Mm. It's going to get the ring for me. All right. Well, that's Honestly, a very Italian. In, that's in a very my, Italian. In my too. relationship since the beginning, it was... I always told Alex, I don't need a lot of things. I was like, but I need a coffee every morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's in the contract, homie. It's, it is. It's in our our contract. So um, I'll go with the coffee. All right. Are you, are you a coffee nerd? Do you really do you really appreciate uh, really good coffee? Or is it just like as long as it's brown, as long as it's and, brown and hot? it's dark and it's in a cup. I like all kinds of coffee, but I do appreciate good coffee. And I have to say, since we have the restaurant, we got a really nice machine in there that I've like now... Mm kind of learn to use but i make everyone else make me really nice coffees and now i've become a little bit more of a snob about it but i can 
I can do like diner coffee. I can do cafecitos from the ventanitas and I can do nice coffee. But the one I really don't like Starbucks. That's the one that thank you. If I go there, I get like the drip because anything else, I really don't enjoy it. Yeah. I don't no, know. I, I mean, I that's where with... my snobbiness comes in. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, my 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 folks like one of their favorite things after church is go to go to Donquilona. Dunkin' Donuts with cream and sugar, you know, <laughs> Dunkin' Donuts, Donuts, cream and sugar. And it's like, that's what I was like, oh, this is, this is American coffee. And it was just basically just, you know, mostly, you know, it felt like mostly leche con bastante azúcar, you know, and, uh, and uh, that's, you know, so I can go there or I could do Great Circle, which I really love. I love. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, they're so good. What's Great so, Circle? Great Circle is this, uh, this roaster uh, in Little Haiti, right that, by you guys? That's who we use, yeah. Oh, there you go. So we use Sullivan Street for the bread, and they're right across the street from Great Circle. Sergio is the owner. Um, that's who our producer our coffee. Oh, see, yeah. I've tried. I actually tried to go there, but I think that they closed their – like they don't have a store you can walk into because I was – I felt like going to Zitsum. I was like, uh, Google says <laughs> it's right here. But, but it's I not so much that. a store, but I think you can, yeah, you can pick up or get it or let him know you're coming. It's really good. Like I, I, I order from them and uh, I order from them all the time. It's so good. Um, like I basically work to order that coffee. <laughs> you know, the other one, though, that now I think I don't enjoy as much and people in Chile are going to not like that I say this. But growing up, everyone would do the hot water with the Nescafe powder that you would Yikes. put inside. Oh, that's a real South American thing. Yeah. It's super South American, yeah. and when I go back to Chile now to visit my dad, they'll do that during like La Onza, but no, that's not strong enough for me. I think that's I have the problem, a Colombian and I think that's that a Starbucks problem. It's just not strong enough. Right. Yeah. It you tastes too much, and it? it's too grainy at the bottom. Like, it's too grainy. Like, you really yeah. have to mix hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we don't get too snobby about it, but there's certain things that, you know, there's certain certain, there's a certain bottom. There's a, there's a floor for certain things. <laughs> yeah, Nescafe is the floor. For sure. <laughs> Lucha, you have been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for making time Thank for you guys foolishness. For me. And it's great to finally to get a chance to really talk to you. I mean, that's that's what I tell Amy. Like, or Amy is, is was like, you know, these podcasts are a great opportunity to to talk with folks who don't have like a newsy thing happening <laughs> that we've always wanted to talk to. So, uh, and it's, can I tell you a story before we go? Is, yeah. Um, the, one of the first times I communicated with Alex, uh, your, your, your partner and uh, co-chef, uh, I had written that you guys were cooking somewhere. There was some event at the Biltmore or something. And here's the list of people that were cooking. And it was like from La Pollita. And I listed his name before yours. And I got a note and it was like, why do people, it was, he was angry. He was hot. He's like, why do people <laughs> always list the woman second? And like, uh, you know, she's a great <laughs> chef and she's, we're equal partners. And I was just like, okay. Your name like, starts with an A. Like, like this man, <laughs> yeah. Know. Honestly, yes. I think it, yeah, it did really. happen a lot in the beginning where even for some events where we were both beyond, where sometimes I would get not even put on the flyer and stuff. Yikes. So I oh, think there lame. was a point where he had to defend a lot and be like, hey, <laughs> we're both doing this work. Uh, but sorry if you got the. the no, <laughs> it was great. I mean, it was great. I was like, this man, I was like, this man is passionate about his woman. And about his <laughs> and about his partner, like you could tell, there was both things going on there. Like he was, he was like the respect for this person as a is their skill and the person that I care about. And I was like, well, they were on my radar from the from then on for sure. Thank but, you so um, much. Thank you guys so much for everything you do and uh, and good luck and continue doing great stuff. Oh, and Thanks, congrats guys. on your Michelin star. Yes, and La Estrellita and the and the and the La Estrellita uh, San El Bar. It's there for everyone to see. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> Thank bueno, you guys Luchi. so much for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure, man. Take care, Luchi. Bye. You think I can get a table now? No. 
Yeah. No. There, it's not a big restaurant. That's the other no, thing. No, I know. I, mean, that's, I think that's more than anything. That's the real problem is you really got to plan your life right. Yeah. It, I, it's small. I, I would think that at some point, you never know. I mean, some, some folks are happy with just that level of what they're doing. But I, I feel like the demand is going gonna, is gonna to push them to do something bigger or in a bigger space or something like that. I feel like what's going to happen is little Haiti's just going to become a hot mess and they're not going to be able to pay rent anymore, if anything. That, that, is that could also, happen. That, that could is the thing happen. that could happen. I mean, really, I think something like Michael, Michael's genuine. I mean, he kind of did a similar thing. He moved into an area because he could afford the rent and there right. was not a lot going on outside of that little circle. And then even as the rents went up, they're like, well, he had a guy, Craig Robbins, who understood you got to have yeah, a I got to keep them of, here. Yeah. And you got to have a balance of things, you know, like it yeah. can't just all be, you know, Pradas. You know what I mean? You got to have like these people yeah. are going to spend their money and then they're going to want to eat, eat something. something. Right. So I hope that they have uh, the kind of um, uh, uh, developer, real estate, you know, landlord or whatever that uh, that understands what they, you know, what they what they what bring, they bring to the to community. community. Yeah. 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 Jinx. Okay. Amy, you know what this feels like? Feels like a show. It feels like a show. All right. Um, we're going to stop making memes, who... Carlos. No, I will never stop making memes. Always making memes. I'll try to do smarter memes then <laughs> to not offend the very, <laughs> sen- the very sensitive. <laughs> All right. Holmes. All right. Let's next do it week. again next week. Bye.